Welcome to Kingdom Living Ministries, where our vision is knowing God, loving people, and making disciples. We trust this week's message will be a blessing to your life. Enjoy the teaching ministry of KLM. It's good to be back. And so today we're going to talk about standing in the hope of the gospel. Standing in the hope of the gospel. So join me in prayer. Father, I thank you. We come before you in the matchless name of Jesus, that name that gives us access to the throne of God, that name in which we stand. We stand before you, Father, guilt-free, shame-free, fear-free. We fear you, but we fear no other. And Father, we stand and sit in your presence in that great name, that name of Jesus, that in the name of Jesus, in the stands of Jesus, we stand. And Father, I thank you that you look upon us, not through the first Adam, but the last Adam. You see us as righteous. You see us as clean, cleansed, or clean before you as Adam and Eve were prior to the fall. And Father, I thank you, Father, that name that gives us access. And Father, we pray that you would grant unto your people, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, grant unto your people the spirit of wisdom, and revelation in the knowledge of you, that the eyes of their understanding will be enlightened, that they may know what is the hope of your calling, what are the riches of the glory of your inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding or the immeasurable greatness of your power towards them who believe, according to the power that you worked in Christ when you raised them from the dead and set them at your own right hand, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in the world to come and have made him to be the head of all things to the church, which filleth all in all. We give your name glory granted to me, your son and your slave, supernatural divine utterance, that I may boldly make known the mystery of the gospel. And Father, may the gifts of the Spirit be in manifestation as you see fit. Father, I desire the gifts. I desire to prophesy. I desire to pray for the sick and, and, and do the works of miracles and, and operate in discerning the spirits and, and a word of knowledge and words of wisdom and discerning the spirits and tongues, diverse kinds of tongues and, and the interpretation of tongues. Oh, Father, I pray that these gifts will be in manifestation every single time that I minister your word. And we give your name glory and honor. And we vow to bless your name forever. The great God, the, the only God, the true and living God who has given us this precious gospel. And Father, may we stand in the hope of the gospel, not in the hope of another message, not in the hope of another person outside of Christ. But Father, I thank you that we'll be found in Christ, not having our own righteousness, which is by the law, but the righteousness, which is by faith through Christ that we may know you in the power of your resurrection, in the fellowship of your suffering, being made conformable into your death. And Father, I thank you that we forget those things which are behind, but we press, come on, say press. We press on to know the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Father, I thank you, Father. I thank you for this day. I thank you that the enemy is defeated. I thank you, Father, that that, that which held us back in the past shall be the thing of the past. And Father, I thank you that today we rise up and take our rightful place in Christ. For it is in Christ we live and we move and we have our existence. And Father, I thank you that it is because of him that we are not consumed. It is because of him, for he is the mercy of God displayed. He is the grace of God displayed. And Father, we cling to Christ and we thank you for it. In Jesus name. Amen. 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 Uh, Ephesians chapter one. So how many have been praying Ephesians one, um, chapter one, verse 17 through 23? Someone. Okay. So I just want to continue to encourage you to pray, pray, pray that prayer, pray the prayer. Um, this prayer would change your life. If you haven't been doing it, um, it's really because you don't want to do it. <laughs> uh, and so I, I want you once again to make this important to you. Um, this prayer will change your life if you will pray in faith daily. Uh, my instruction to you as your pastor and the overseer of this assembly is to add this prayer part of your daily prayers. 
If you, if you don't pray daily, um, you're already lost. <laughs> well, come on. We, how many know we need to pray da- daily? And the scripture instructs us to pray without ceasing, to pray without stopping. Let prayer be part of us like air is a part of us. That's what that's how much we should be praying or communion with the father. Now, you don't, you need to have a set, set aside time to pray and you need and you can pray on the road and on the go. And so pray much. Pray to your father. Pray to our father and also pray these this prayer. Um, if 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 um, if you if God, God wants us to um, God should not be an afterthought, but he should be be a present focus. And if he's your Lord, then you ought to act like he's your Lord by thinking upon him daily. The Ephesians prayers, and we're just going to focus on one. The Ephesians prayers are spirit-filled, gospel-saturated, Christ-exalted, and God-centered prayers. Did you hear me? The Ephesians prayers. Now, there are other prayers and, and I'm not taken away for those other prayers, but but this these prayers these there's at least three prayers in Ephesians. They are spirit filled, gospel saturated, Christ exalting, and God centered prayers. There's no selfishness in these prayers. Just like in tongues, when we pray in other tongues, it is spirit filled prayers, spirit led prayers. And just like my prayer faith is meant to be answered, so are my prayers in tongues. God will answer your prayers in tongues. And I'm not going to talk about praying in tongues today, but just like that, these prayers are spirit-filled, spirit-led prayers. So I want to encourage you with those words. Prayer is a powerful weapon. It positions us with God. When we pray, it positions us with God. It can change your life and it can change your world. You can change the world through prayer. Don't sleep on prayer. Prayer is doing business with God. Prayer is loving God. I mean, you want to love on God. So when you and I pray, we're loving on God. Prayer is petitioning God. And prayer is changing the world. When you change, you change the world. When you pray, you change. God, prayer changes you, which changes the world. Amen. Praying his word does not shortchange the process, but actually it advances it. Praying the word or praying God's word dethrones Satan. How many want to dethrone Satan? Pray his word. It enforces his defeat. So this morning, uh, we want to go back to this prayer and pull out some things specifically that we can build upon. Um, next few weeks, I have a, a, a new series that I'm going to be preaching about in light of the Reformation. This year is the 500-year celebration of what Martin Luther did in light of um, Christianity and how God used them. And so prayerfully, we'll get to that next week, um, in the next few weeks. But um, Healing at the Cross, Minister Allen did an excellent job bringing out that healing is a part of this wonderful gospel. And then uh, Minister Cleveland actually expounded upon um, the pursuit of godliness. I mean, we need to be pursuing godliness. And that's a pursuit that should not stop and should not end until the day we leave this world. All right. So with that in mind, let's look at Ephesians chapter one, verses 15 through 23. I love the book of Ephesians. I'm tempted to preach through it, but it's there's so much in it. I mean, the entire book it, it's worth um, your time, your mind, your memory. I mean, it's, it's, it's there's so much. I've been studying this book for years. Verse 15, reading under the ESV, it says, for this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. Let's stop there. I'm just going to break it down each verse. It says, um, for this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. Now here, Paul is giving us the big why. How many know that we should start with the big why? Why do we do the things that we do? 
right? Um, why? Um, not only is Paul starting with the big why, but he is missional driven. Paul is missional driven in praying this prayer. First thing is for this reason or for this cause, King James says, for this cause, ESV says, for this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, then he tells about praying this prayer. So Paul, the apostle, heard of their faith in the Lord Jesus and their love towards all the saints. How many have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ this morning? Amen. You need to know whether or not you have faith in Jesus. And how many have love towards all the saints? Even the saints you don't like. You got to love the unlovable saints. You got to love the tough saints. The saints that are not as friendly as you would like them to be. Um, this qualifies you to, for this prayer to be answered in your life. This prayer isn't just for anyone, but it's for those who have active faith in Jesus and, and a, a growing love towards the saints. Your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ can and should continually grow. How many know that? Your faith in Jesus, your faith from last year to this year should have grown. You, you need to constantly cultivate and feed your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. How does faith come? Glad you asked. It comes through hearing God's word on a continual basis. It comes through feeding upon what God has said. It comes from meditating the gospel, thinking about what Jesus has done for us. It grows by hearkening to the word of God. Not only hearing the word by, by reading, um, by reading um, the Bible or hearing faith-filled sermons, but by acting upon the word of God. As a result of true biblical faith in Christ, you should be growing in your obedience in Christ or to Christ. As a result of your faith in Christ, your obedience come, comes up. Faith alone um, without works is what? Dead, right? Just like the body without the spirit is dead. So when my spirit leaves my body, I'm gone. This body becomes dead. Faith without works or corresponding action is dead. So faith in Jesus will produce a life of obedience. Your obedience doesn't save you, but your faith in Jesus, Jesus saves you, and your faith is the means by which you access the salvation that is in Jesus, and your obedience is the result of the fruit of your faith. Amen. The fruit of your faith is your obedience. So if you say, I have faith, and you're not obedient to the word of God, then you don't have true faith. Faith is always present tense. Notice, faith comes by hearing and not, have, not have, having heard. So faith is something that you got to constantly keep before you. John Calvin said it like this, that you have to preach the gospel to yourself daily. So you got to speak God's word to yourself daily. You got to keep that mirror of the word of God before you because you can forget what kind of person you really are. That word reminds you of God. The, I like to say this. The Bible is a reminder of the existence of God. It reminds me that God exists. It reminds me of the sovereignty of God. It reminds me of his awesomeness, his wonder. I think sometimes we have lost our wonders of God. We lost our wonder. We forgot how wonderful he is. But that word keeps him before you, reminds you of who he is, reminds you of who you are. Verse 16 says this, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in prayers or in my prayers. Paul is giving thanks for these precious saints at Ephesus on a continuous basis. How often do you give thanks? for your pastor, or for the president, or for those who are in authority, or for your brothers and your sisters. I think that our generation, this generation has a, um, the spirit of dishonor. They don't honor those who are in authority. Even if you disagree with those who are in authority, we're not to dishonor them. To dishonor them is to dishonor God, Romans 13. 
though a person may be speaking truth or facts about the person in that office, we need to be careful about dishonoring. Right? We don't need to dishonor our president. And so go to 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy. Hold our places there. We're, we're talking about standing in hope of the gospel. Um, 1 Timothy chapter 2. Let me read this 1 through 4. It says, first of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for how many people? For all people. For Then he goes on, be more, he's more specific. He says, for who? For kings and all who are in what? High positions that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life and godly and dignified in every way. This is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. All right, so here the scripture tells us that we're to supplicate, we're to pray, we're to intercede and give thanks for all people. So you need to pray for the people that you know. Who knows that the people that you are in contact with, who's praying for them, who's lifting them up, who's praying, be, praying on their behalf. But then he goes on, he says specifically, especially pray for kings or all who are in high positions. Not only, not only those that we like. Did you hear me? We're called to do the parts of the Bible that we don't like. What, what, what are you to pray for the leaders? You pray, you're to pray that God will, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified. Um, this should be the aim of our prayer for our president. This is well-pleasing in the sight of God. I don't know about you, but I don't care about my Facebook friends or my Instagram friends who does not like President Donald Trump. Um, I have to pray. I'm called to pray for him. Amen. Even if I don't like him, even if I disagree with him, I'm called to pray for him. Are you with me? The calling, the biblical calling of a Christian is higher than the opinions of men. And so we need to guard against being dishonorable to that which God has placed in and put in position. And so that our aim should be praying that God will save them because it's God's desire for all to be saved. That we may, that when life is quiet and peaceful, God expects us to proclaim the gospel. So let's go back to Ephesians 1. Ephesians 1. So in verse 16, Paul says, I, I do not cease, I do not stop to give thanks for you. So we're to give thanks for one another. We're to give thanks for those who are in leadership. Paul, Paul is remembering them in prayer. How many times do we remember each other in prayer? I think we can become selfish even in our prayers. When we're praying about my family, my, my things, my desires, and we neglect each other's desires, each other's needs. We need to pray. And then we need to pray for other churches and other communities, other countries. That should be the norm for us as believers. True pastors are pastors who pray continually for their flock. You cannot be a biblical pastor or associate pastor without praying for the people you're called to serve. Paul demonstrated this in Philippians chapter 1 where he said, I have you in my heart. I yearn for you with the affections of Jesus Christ. Let's look at verse 17. And this is what the apostle Paul prayed. And this is what we are, we are exhorted to pray. We are encouraged and instructed to pray. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory. You know, I think sometimes we, we don't understand prayer. Some people don't pray because they don't see any results. Right? It, because they pray for something and it never happened. But perhaps we didn't follow the order. The Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. So enter into my courts with thanksgiving. Enter into my, my, um, my gates with praise. I think it's the other way around. Um, um, offer up thanksgiving. And then he says, first of all, I urge you all. He's, first of all, I think we need to put first things first. So make it a, a, 
if I can say religious without y'all being legalistic, a religious habit of praying for each other and praying for those who are in leadership. First of all, he says, I urge you all and then pray for others. Be quick to pray for others more than yourself. Um, Zig Ziglar says this, that what you make happen for others, God will make happen for you. So pray for others. Pray for other cities. Pray for other churches. That's not in my notes. But here he said he is addressing the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory. Our prayers should be addressed to God the Father. Throughout the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, you'll see prayers are addressed to the Father. This is a focus, a focus point of all prayers in the Bible. Jesus instructed us in Matthew 6, 9. He says, when you pray, pray in this like manner, our Father. And then in John 16, let's go over there real quick. Hold your places in Ephesians 1. John 16, standing in, in the hope of the gospel. John 16, verse 23. So Matthew 6, verse 9 is, is what we consider the Lord's prayer. He says, our Father who art in heaven. God is teaching us how to pray. John chapter 16, verse 23 says this. In that day, talking about after the resurrection, you will ask me what? Nothing. You will ask nothing of me. This is Jesus speaking. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. And so, again, Jesus is instructing his disciples as well as us to address the Father when you pray. I dare you to pray to the Father. Every time you pray, say, Father. And that's just natural to us as believers. We receive the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. It is natural for the believer to cry out to Father God, Abba, Father. Father God, it's just, that's natural. That, that, that is, I mean, it just, it draws God near. He's not just God to me, he's Father God. He fathers me. He shepherds me. He takes care of me. He provides for me. He, he heals me. He, he sustains me. Father, you're recognizing, um, the word Father also means, is where we get our identity from. Father God. I, I, I recognize my source of life. You are the strength of my life. You are my countenance. You are my joy. You are my peace. I receive my identity from you. You name me. You created me. You made me who I am. I recognize you are provider of all providers. You are the epitome of what a father is. You are, you are the definition of fatherhood. You're not mother God, but you're father God. I recognize you as the source of all things, as the sovereign Lord, the ruler of heaven and earth, that angels hearken to your voice. Are you with me? So that's what when we say we are father, it's not just a gender thing, but it is a recognition for where all source comes from. You are the God of our Lord Jesus Christ. You sent Jesus. You are the father of glory. You are the, the source of glory. You are glory itself. I recognize you. And that's what it means to address him as father. We're not just addressing him by the name God, but we're addressing him as father God. I can preach on that all day. <laughs> father God. He's, he's, he's exhorting. Go back to Ephesians 1, verse 17. So he's addressing the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory. The Father of glory. And then he tells us, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him. So he's petitioning. Okay, let me say this, then I'll move on. To pray biblically is to pray to the Father. Let me say that. To pray biblically is to pray to the Father. Don't pray to Jesus. Don't pray to the Holy Spirit. Now, can we worship Jesus? Absolutely. Can we worship the Holy Spirit? Absolutely. Can we talk to Jesus? Absolutely. 
Can we talk to the Holy Spirit? Absolutely. Just like Jesus, the disciples talked to Jesus, we're to talk to the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, I send you another comforter, another helper, another um, one to come alone to help you. So I ask, if I lose my keys, Holy Spirit, you know exactly where my keys are. I'm asking you, Holy Spirit, to help me. I, I am talking to him. I am seeking his guidance. But our prayers should be addressed to the Father. Are you with me? Now, don't go around correcting people. If they say, oh, dear Jesus. No, 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 you're not praying to the Father. It's not a religious thing. I don't think God is like, man, they're praying to Jesus and not to me. I don't think that that's the attitude. But if you see throughout scriptures, you see again, again, and again, the address of every prayer is to the Father. And Jesus even said, don't, you don't ask, you'll ask nothing of me, but whatever you ask the Father in my name. Um, so so, so I, I want to exhort you. We know from Revelation, and you're going to say, you're going to kill your sermon, right? The, 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 John, the apostle John says, Lord Jesus, come quickly. I, I don't think it, it's so much as a prayer as, as, as a yearning. I want you to come quickly. That's a good prayer to pray, by the way. I know those who are about to get married are like, Lord Jesus, don't come. <laughs> and then those who get married are like, Lord, come quickly. <laughs> um, so, so again, don't make it a religious thing. Oh, don't, you're not praying to the Father. No, it, it says, I, I exhort you, I encourage you, look and study to see if those things which I'm saying are in the scriptures. Again and again, you'll see the apostles, Jesus, praying to the Father. So, Apostle Paul is petitioning the Father to grant to the saints the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Now, with me, I'm, I'm asking, who is he? <laughs> who is him? Him can refer to Christ or to the Father or just in general, the triune God. The triune God. Give me spirit of wisdom. Give me the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the triune, in the knowledge of the triune God. How many know that we need wisdom to know God? We need wisdom. There's wisdom, right? There's wisdom to, to handle the affairs of life. But then there is the spirit of wisdom to know God better. We need wisdom to properly see him as he is presented in the scripture. Now, the Holy Spirit will open up your eyes or our eyes as we pray this prayer. You cannot know the God of the Bible without the help of the Holy Spirit. Have you ever seen somebody try to understand God without the help of God? You can go in some some um, universities and, 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 and take classes, uh, New Testament class. I took a New Testament class and an Old Testament class um, from unregenerated instructors. And they're trying to teach the Bible. And it's, 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 it's hilarious in some sense and it's sad in other sense. And they're trying to communicate things that they have no real spiritual understanding about. But we need the Holy Spirit. So the Apostle Paul is praying, say, you know, I'm praying that, that, that the God of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, will grant you. I love that the fact that he puts the Trinity in this prayer. He, he addresses the Father. Then he, he talks about God, the Father being the God of Lord Jesus Christ. Then he, then he addresses, he says, I'm praying to the Father may give unto you the spirit of wisdom, who is the Holy Spirit, and of revelation. So he's praying and petitioning the Father to grant unto the saints the Holy Spirit, but not just the Holy Spirit in general, not the Holy Spirit in regeneration of the new birth, or the Holy Spirit in the fullness of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But he's specifically praying that the Holy Spirit will manifest himself in a unique way that is different than salvation in the infilling. He's praying that they will have the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. That's what he's praying. Paul is praying for the Father to give them the Holy Spirit in such a way that he will give them wisdom as it relates to knowing the Father. I'm praying that the Holy Spirit may be given to you so you can know the Father, so you can know the Son, so you can know the Spirit better. 
Um, again, there's wisdom for everyday life, but there's wisdom to know God. He's praying for the latter. Then he continues by praying for the spirit of revelation. He doesn't just stop with the wisdom. Wisdom is the ability to execute knowledge. The, the how and the when. You may have the knowledge to, put, to, to become rich, but do you have the wisdom to become rich? How do you move? When do you move? When do you trade? When do you sell? When do you, you know, start your business? When do you market? And, you know, there's wisdom in that. Are you, are you with me? We need wisdom. And those of us who are parents, we need the wisdom of God. How do we raise this little one up to be godly seed for the glory of God? God did not give you your, your children for your glory. He gave you your children for his glory. And it is our responsibility to be faithful over them to raise them up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. That's the mandate of every parent. So he's praying that they will have revelation, the spirit of revelation. He doesn't start with the wisdom, but he goes on asking for the supernatural insight of knowing God. Revelation isn't a word that we should be afraid of. Revelation simply means insight, supernatural insight. It is the ability it is, is available to those who will open up their hearts and they can see God in his glory. He isn't praying for any revelation. You know, some people, they, they want revelation. They just want deep stuff. Give me revelation. I, I, do your pastor preach from revelation? <laughs> uh, but he's praying that for revelation in the knowledge of him, in the knowledge of God. I'm praying that you will know you have the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Um, he's praying just like Saul had a revelation of Jesus on the road of Damascus. He, he said it takes the Holy Spirit giving us both wisdom and revelation in order to really know God. How I many know we need wisdom and revelation to really know God? You cannot know God just because he says, I want to know God. And you read your little Bible first. Okay, I know God. No, it takes the Holy Spirit bringing you wisdom, showing you the ways of God. You cannot know God through your intellect. You cannot know God through your emotions. But you know him by divine wisdom and revelation. Now, he will affect your intellect <laughs> and he will affect your emotions. But, but some of us stop at our intellect or our emotions. I love the fact that Jesus says in Matthew 22, quoting from Leviticus and Deuteronomy, he says, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your emotions, right? Your mind, your intellect, your strength, and so forth. To love the Lord your God with all your heart and your mind, your soul, and your strength. Every part of your being. We should employ every part of us in loving God. This is what the Apostle Paul is praying. When you and I pray this prayer, we're praying the exact same thing. How many want to know God? I want to know him. I really want to know him, really, really know him. So with that in mind, let's go to a few scriptures about knowing him. Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. Standing in hope of the glory of the gospel, and hope of the gospel. Philippians chapter 3, let's look at verse 9. Here the apostle Paul just got finished laying out his resume, declaring of who he was and what he had and what he was bringing to the table. And verse 9 he says, and be found in him. Oh, may we be found in Christ this morning. Be found in Christ. Don't be found in the first Adam, be found in the last Adam. When he cracks the sky, be found in Christ. Paul is praying that I may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law or my obedience to the law, but that which comes through the faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Verse 10, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may obtain the resurrection from the dead. He is praying that he will know God, and he will know the power of the resurrection. He's praying. That, that sounds like Ephesians 1 to me. 
Ephesians 1, that you may know him, that, that you may, God's going to give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, that you may know him. And then he goes on, he says, and that you may know, Paul is saying, that I may know the power of his resurrection. Okay, what, what is that part of Ephesians 1? He says that you may know the exceeding greatness of his power towards you that believe, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. He's praying for that. Give me the knowledge. Give me the understanding of that power of the resurrection. That same power that raised Christ from the dead. If he that raised, that same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, he's going to quicken your mortal's bodies on that great day. He's going to resurrect your, your spirit, your bodies, just like he resurrected Jesus. Amen. And so he's praying this. This is, from what I'm told, one of the last letters that Paul wrote before he went on to be with the Lord. So he's praying that he would know him. Even until the time, how many of Paul knew Jesus and knew the Father, knew the Holy Spirit? And yet at the end of his life, he's still praying that prayer. All right, so that's the Apostle Paul. Let's go to Psalm 27. Let's look at David real quick. Psalm 27. Standing in the hope of the gospel. Psalm 27. And let's look at verse 4. This is David crying out the same thing. This is the same terminology or the, uh, the same uh, vocabulary. One thing that I have asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord, um, may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, to inquire in his temple. He says, one thing I ask of the Lord, that I may know him, that I may behold his beauty, that I may be in his house, that I may be where his presence is. I desire that. This is what David is praying. He's yearning to be in that place. And one last scripture before we go back to um, Ephesians, John chapter 17. John chapter 17. This is some good stuff. Standing in the hope of the gospel. So John chapter 17, verse 3. It says this, and this is what? Eternal life. Tell me what eternal life is. That they may know you, the only what? True God and who else? Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. This is Jesus praying for us and his disciples. He's praying that they may know that eternal life is not dying and going to heaven, but it's knowing God, the true God, and his son, Jesus Christ. That, the same thing, right? You see David praying that, you see Jesus praying that, and you see the Apostle Paul praying that. I think we are in good company when we pray, Lord, I want to know you. I just want to know you. I want to sit at your feet. I want to hear what you have to say to me. I want to behold your beauty in your house. I want to be in your presence. I don't just want your, your benefits. I just don't want your hand, but I want you. The greatest thing about heaven is that we're going to see his face. That's why heaven is wonderful. Not because there'll be no more pain, no more sorrows. That's great. That's the byproduct. But the real reward is knowing him, is seeing him. I want to see his face. What joy, what a desire of every believer. That's the heartbeat of Christianity, to know him. I want to know you. I want to be with you. Father God, thank you for being my father. You are not just God to me. You're Father God. You will not, you deal with me just like you deal with Jesus. How many know that God the Father is good to Jesus? He'll be good to you too. In John chapter 17, he talks about how he, how God the Father loves us like he loves Jesus. And that'll set you free for life. You don't have to worry about no low self-esteem. If you get an understanding, a revelation, a spiritual insight, on knowing that God loves me just as much as he, as he loves Jesus. How many know that God really loves Jesus? He loves, he loves our elder brother, our master, our savior, the sacrifice, the, the lamb of God. He loves Jesus. There is no separation between God. The, the only thing that separated him from his son is sin. In that moment, and, and Jesus cried, Father, Father, why have thou forsaken me? Why did you leave me? Why did you turn your back on me? Because I had another glory in mind. 
I want other sons and daughters just like you. In order to get them, to obtain them, to redeem them, someone had to pay the price. So our elder brother, Jesus, took a butt whipping for us. Was poured, The wrath of God was poured out upon him so that we can be loved. Those same hands that crushed Jesus is now loving on us, embracing us. And we're, we're part of that great family now. See, it was all about, <laughs> it was all about the father in his family. That's the whole book of redemption. That's the whole, that's the, what the whole Bible is about, is about the father and his family. He's all about going after his family. He created Adam and Eve to multiply, to fill the earth so he can have people he can love, just like he loved Jesus. The goal, the big why of becoming like Jesus is because of the relationship and the fellowship that Jesus and the Father has. How many know that Jesus and the Father, they have unhindered, unbroken fellowship? That fellowship with the Father and the Son, the Bible talks about in John chapter 6, 17, that they're one. They're, they're, that love is unbroken. And guess, how, guess what? The goal of us of becoming more like Jesus it's so that our love and the love of the Father could be unbroken. And we're part of, the Trinity invited us part of this great fellowship. We have sweet fellowship with the Holy Spirit. We have the love of God and the grace of Jesus. I mean, that is part of, that's what the Christianity is all about. The Father in his family. That's what God was after. He just didn't want ro robots he just didn't want just angels. He had angels. And, you know, some of them rebelled. <laughs> but he wanted people to love him. See, the angels even said to God the Father, what is man that you're mindful of him? Why are you so mindful of this man? Why are you doing all? We have a joy that the angels can't, don't even understand. They are perplexed with the understanding of how much the Father loves us. They, they, we have a song that they can't even sing. The angels, and they behold his glory day in and day out. God is just not looking for just worshipers, right? He is looking worshipers, John chapter 4. But realizing he has elders and, and, and creatures around his throne declaring his praises. But he wanted us, out, out of our free will, to respond out of that love. The Bible says we love him because he first loved us. Go back to Ephesians 1. Standing in the hope of the gospel. Ephesians chapter 1. So we talked about the knowledge, knowing him, or, or the spirit of wisdom, revelation, and the knowledge of him. Verse 18 says, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. Let's just stop there. Having the eyes of your heart enlightened. So by the Father giving us the spirit of wisdom and revelation, our eyes will be, op be open. And the Amplified says this, that the eyes of our understanding will be flooded with light. How many know that we need floodlights? We, we don't understand the way that we should. We need understanding. We need to see. Many of us don't see. We're blinded by our own pride, according to Obadiah. Um, we're br blinded by sin. We're blinded by our own worldview, the way we see the world. Just because you haven't experienced it doesn't mean that, you, that it isn't true. Just because you don't know it doesn't mean that it isn't real. Um, you only know what you've been taught. <laughs> you don't know beyond your actual knowledge. So our eyes need to be open. We've been blinded by the God of this world, even as Christians. We don't see the way that we're supposed to see. Satan has blinded not only unbelievers, but believers. You cannot, you can be born again, even filled with the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues, and still not see properly. Do you believe that? Peter is an example of this. Peter was saved, right? God wonderfully saved Peter, because he was a cussing somebody. <laughs> he was a violent. He, he had a big mouth, always declaring, prideful, Father, I would, Jesus, I would never do that. And end up denying him anyway. 
He was a betrayer. He was a betrayer. He betrayed Jesus, right? And yet, the Lord saved him, filled him with the Holy Spirit. He spoke in tongues. How do you know that? On the day of Pentecost, he was up in the upper room, part of the 120, and he spoke in tongues. And then he had the boldness, and he began to preach. 3,000 people got saved on the day of Pentecost. He had some power. The Bible talks about even his shadow. Like if Peter walked around and there was somebody lame, his shadow would overshadow them and they would get healed. So he had some type of anointing on him. He had power, but yet he did not see properly. He believed that salvation was only of the Jews. And it took the Holy Spirit causing him to fall into a trance to give him a vision on a rooftop to say, listen, the Gentiles are supposed to be part of the salvation. And yet he was spirit filled. He walked with Jesus. I mean, check this out. He walked with Jesus for three and a half years, got filled with the Holy Spirit, saw miracles, saw things that the Bible says, if all the miracles and, and, the, and, and the healings of Jesus uh, was recorded, there would not be one book that could contain all of it. So Jesus did. See, we see we have a little small percentage of the miraculous in, in, in the Bible. So there are many things that Jesus did that we won't ever find out until the day till we go home and be with the Lord. And hopefully he'll show us some of those things. Can we see what else Jesus did? <laughs> he'll give us a glance, a, a, a preview, say this is what your, your, your big brother, your master, your Lord, your Savior did. He walked with Jesus, saw what things that people desire to see, and yet he was blinded. He believed that it was only the Israel that was supposed to be saved. And it took God opening up his eyes and saying, listen, the Gentiles are supposed to be part of this. There's a young man by the name of Cornelius who's going to come to you because the angel appeared to him and you are to tell him about the way of salvation. So Peter, without that vision, I believe that Peter would not have went with Cornelius. I ain't going with you. You ain't supposed to be part of this. This is the Jews. We, we part of Jesus was a Jew, bro. <laughs> Peace out. Love you. <laughs> Hope you make it in. <laughs> Psych. Oh, you're not part of the commonwealth of Israel. You ain't going to be a part of this. God bless you. I mean, you're doomed. I got some. We got something that you can't touch. You're the world. You un, uncircumcised Gentile. Not a part of the covenant. You don't even know the Old Testament. And yet, God opened up his eyes, says, you let that boy into the, into the way. <laughs> Don't keep him out. So Peter went to his house and preached Christ to him and his family. Guess what happened? All of them got saved and started speaking in tongues. He didn't even have enough opportunity. He didn't even have an opportunity to even give an altar call. Somehow between him preaching and receiving the Holy Spirit, they got saved. Because the next part after he preached, as he was preaching Christ, the Holy Spirit fell upon him and his family, and they all started speaking in tongues. I know you've heard this saying, you know, oh, God is in household salvation. You ever heard that, right? Household salvation. But guess what? Cornelius' household heard the word. So you can't claim a household salvation if your household is not hearing the word, Right? You know, people go around prophesying. Jesus said, your household will be saved. But your household need to be in the household of faith so they can hear the gospel so they can save. Amen. I'm sorry. That's a side note. Um, and so, go back to Ephesians 1. <laughs> that the eyes of you. So we need our eyes to be open. We need to, our eyes to be open. Satan has blinded our eyes. And so we need the gospel. Proverbs 21 verse 2 says, um, every man or every person thinks that they're right in their own eyes. You know, I think that I'm right because my last name is right. <laughs> I think that I'm right. <laughs> and so I got to guard against that. <laughs> Mr. Right, you're wrong, Mr. Right. <laughs> um, we think we're right in our own eyes, right? We think that we're okay. Isaiah 55, 8 through 9 says, your ways are not my ways, your thoughts are not my thoughts. And so even as believers... We think that we know what's right. Just because you think it is right doesn't mean that it's God's thoughts. 
Now, Psalm 119, verse 130 says, the interest of your word, O God, brings light. So we need, we have to come to a place where God's word enters into our hearts and it takes the Holy Spirit giving us light. You cannot force revelation on yourself. It takes God himself to know and understand God. Let me say that. It takes God himself to know and understand God. God has to help us to know him. Go to verse 18. It says that the eyes of your understanding would be lightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? Verse 18. I'm almost finished. It says, uh, why do we need our eyes open? I'm glad you asked. So that we can know what is the hope to which he has called us. So that we can know the hope to which he has called. So what is hope? What is hope? Hope is not this wishy hope. I hope to see you. No, uh, we use hope in a way that is, I, I wish it was the case. Uh, but Bible hope is confident expectation. The return of Jesus is called what is the blessed hope. That's our blessed hope, the return of Christ. So it's not like I hope he comes back. I, I, I wish he comes back. He may come back. That's not hope. Hope is a powerful force. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 13, he says, oh, these three abides, faith, love, and what? Hope. God is a God of hope. And we know from Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, it says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for. Another translation says, faith gives substance to things hoped for. Faith Give substance to things hoped for. The hope is your blueprint. Faith brings your hope to reality. Faith is, you know, like the, the substance of this suit. The hope is that the suit will fit someone, but faith brings that into reality. It's the material in which hope is looking for. Faith gives substance to things hoped for. Faith, faith is the evidence of things not seen. What is your evidence that God is real? Your faith. Your faith. It's, the, it's, it's a mark of grace. Give you an example. My son recently, um, we had some little challenges with DLW4. Um, we had some challenges with him um, and, and him adjusting to having a brother. So we sent, sent him to syllabus, um, um, a big brother class. And so he went to Big Brother class at the hospital, paid $30, so they can tell him that it's okay to have a little brother, a little sister. <laughs> <All right. laughs> and so he goes and he learns, but then he, he's starting to act, he was starting to act out a little bit. So he did something that he's never done before. So he goes to the store with um, um, our cousin. And, he, and in the store, she's, she's, she's going to bless him with a bike, make him feel, feel special. Um, so he's going to get blessed with a bike. But he wanted this little toy more than he wanted the bike. And she said, no, I'm buying you this bike. Be happy. So he decides to steal the little toy from Walmart. And so um, we didn't know this. And so I'm like, he's stealing the devil in my house. <laughs> um, and so he goes and got the bike fixed and stuff. He rides the bike. And so he asked me, Daddy. I'm on the couch, Daddy, and Courtney's there with Declan. Daddy, um, would God forgive a person if they steal? I'm like, uh, yeah, if they ask for forgiveness. I said, why you ask? <laughs> he says, because I stole this, these toys and pulled them out. Some little toys, probably like 30 cents, maybe 69 cents. And, and, and I said, well, boy, you got to ask for forgiveness. And, and if, I, if I had any doubt that he was, was, was saved, that this, this changed it. Because immediately he wept. And it wasn't like a crying, like I'm going to get in trouble, but I had sinned against God. He fell down. Nobody told him to do that. He fell down and came to my knees. God, forgive me. Lord, forgive me. And I, and, I, and I prayed the prayer of faith for his forgiveness. And we prayed together and asked God to have mercy and I hugged him. I said, son, your, your sins are forgiven. 
And he hugged me and hugged me. And of course, my wife is emotional anyway. And, and she's like, ah, ah. I said, do you need forgiveness too? <laughs> and I'm telling you, the mark of grace that the fact that he was conscious that if I stole, is it possible for God to forgive me of the very thing that I offended him with? And he came to his knees, recognized I had failed and messed up. And it was my responsibility as his father to release him from the shame and the guilt. And I told him, I said, this will never be brought up anymore. This is a done deal. You are forgiven. And he hugged me. And he didn't think anything about it. And then the next week, he's like, I'm daddy. I'm, if, if somebody stole something from the school, is it a sin? <laughs> I said, why did you ask? I didn't steal it this time, but my friend stole it. <laughs> true story, true story. That just happened. <laughs> he said, I knew it was wrong, and, but I'm telling you that, that my friend took something from the school. <laughs> um. What is this hope, the hope of, of the gospel, the hope of my children being saved? That's the hope of the gospel. Um, so he's praying that the eyes will be open, spirit of wisdom and revelation will be given to you so that your eyes can be open, that you may know what is the hope to which he's called you. Therefore, the name of the title is Standing in the Hope of the Gospel. This hope is beyond natural hope. It isn't a wishy hope but a hope that is built upon the gospel. How many know the gospel brings us hope? Hope defers make the heart stoop, but we don't have a hope that is deferred or will ever be deferred. We have a hope that is beyond this world. We're called to stand in the hope of the gospel. The hope of the gospel is the implications of the gospel. It affects our, our entire lives. The gospel doesn't only affect our eternal state, but our present living. Hope is important to the Christian faith. What are you hoping in this Christian life? To know God, to walk in the freedom that Jesus died to give us. This hope includes wisdom for daily living, provision for our lives, health and healing for our bodies. And above all, this hope is built upon the return of Jesus. That is our hope that we're not living for nothing. We're living to live again. This is just a rehearsal. This is just an opportunity to, 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 to practice what we're going to be living in the reality of when Christ comes. The gospel. He called us to this hope, this expectation. We are patiently waiting for our blessed hope, the return of our Savior. I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to the day that Jesus cracks the sky. I'm longing for that great day. I mean, we have hope beyond this natural world. Though things may get beginning harder in this world, in our society, we got hope. Standing in that hope. He called us, um, we hope in a city built by God himself, New Jerusalem. The gospel is our sins being condemned, Jesus receiving the wrath and punishment for them, and our response by faith and repentance. Our hope is that the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdom of our God and Christ. See, those without Christ, they don't have any hope. They're only living for here, for now. We're blessed now and later, like the now and laters. <laughs> You're supposed to eat some now? And eat some later, but most of us eat it all now, right? <laughs> now. It took me uh, like 20 years to figure out why now, later, you know. <laughs> I just like, really? That's what it's about? Now and later? I thought it was just, that's the name of it. <laughs> um, the hope, this hope includes new bodies. You don't like your body? Which you should not like your body. But you're going to get a new one. Amen. Glory to God. Courtney said, I'm going to get that six-pack one way or the other. <laughs> so let's, let's hope for this life, too. <laughs> um, new bodies, uh, uh, new heaven and earth. This is the hope we are saved under, according to Romans 8, 18 to 25. The hope of a brand new life, something that we have never seen before or experienced. The hope of seeing his face, the hope of our existence, the very hope that we exist. We were created for our master. 
Paul is praying for us to know the hope of the gospel. Don't be moved by the world from this hope of the the gospel. The gospel, listen to this, the gospel is the present belief in a past event bringing future salvation. Let me say it again. The gospel is the present belief in a past event bringing future salvation. The hope of our tears being wiped away. The kingdom of God coming into full manifestation. We're called to the hope of the gospel. So he's praying that we understand the hope that which we are called to. Our expectation is the gospel um, is, is of the gospel to affect every area of our lives. The gospel changing our children and our marriages, changing our money and our bodies and our minds and our lives. This is the hope to which he has called us. We're praying to understand this calling. We're praying for our eyes to see what belongs to us in Christ. Did you hear me? We're praying to understand what belongs to us in Christ. We're praying, uh, we're living beneath our privileges. So don't let it be said that when you get to heaven, you could have walked in such and such. And don't let the master have to say that to you. Take, Take your rightful place in Christ. Understand the hope to which he's called you to. This hope that, that a worry-free life, we don't have to worry. Glory to God. Um, uh, we, we can do all things through Christ. We, we know how to be, to, to be exalted and to be abased. We know how to have a lot and to have pl- a little, right? We know, how, we know how to deal with prosperity and we know how to deal with poverty. That's what he's talking about. I can do all things through Christ. No matter whatever state I find myself in, it doesn't matter your circumstances. You can do all things through Christ. You can make it through that situation. Glory to God. Churchill says, if you're walking through hell, keep walking. If you're walking through hell, keep walking. Walking through it. Because there's a hope at the end of the tunnel. Here's the applications. No, you don't know all there is to know of this gospel. Know that you don't know all there is to know of this gospel. Number two, God wants to enlighten your eyes. God wants to enlighten your eyes. Number three, pray this prayer daily in faith. Notice the key word is in faith. Don't just pray it out. of. Don't look at it as a Hail Mary, but look at it as a God-inspiring prayer so that I can have my eyes open so I can know the hope of this gospel and expect the Holy Spirit to do his job. Pray this prayer daily in faith. Pray this prayer. So here are the four applications. No, you don't know all there is to know of this gospel. Number two, God wants to enlighten you Number three, pray this prayer daily in faith. And number four, expect the Holy Spirit to do his job. Let us pray. Father, I thank you. Our hope is not in this world, but it is in in Christ, who, who was and is and is to come, who's the same yesterday, today, and forever, the same Jesus that we behold in the gospel. He is the same. And Father, I thank you that this hope that we have, we stand in the hope of the gospel, the return of Christ, which is the greatest blessed hope that we can have. The hope that our finances will change. The hope of that provision that Jesus died to give us. The hope of the freedom that is in Christ. I thank you, Father, we stand in that hope. You're the God of hope. I pray for the hope of your people today. May our hope not defer. May our hope come to full fruition. Father, I pray that our faith will not fail us, that, Lord, you will strengthen our faith, which brings to pass the very things that we hope for. What are the things that you're hoping for today? May you stand in the hope of the gospel. Thank you, Father. Whether it's debt freedom, There's hope in Jesus. There's hope in his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, his intercession, and his return. There's hope in these saving events. 
whether it's freedom from demonic activities, there's hope in the Savior that delivers. Whether it's physical needs being met, there is hope in Christ the healer. Whether it's relationships, there's hope that he's a redeemer of relationships. Father, we thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. That concludes this week's message, and thank you very much for listening. For more information about Kingdom Living Ministries, please call us at 732-324-2200 or visit our website at kingdomlivingnj.org. Also, you can write to us by mail at P.O. Box 519, Rancocas, New Jersey, 08073. And lastly, if you would like to partner with this ministry through your prayers or financial support, contact us via email at partners at kingdomlivingnj.org. Our prayer is that this message has encouraged you to live out the kingdom of God daily in your life by your obedience to His Word. God bless you.